Well, good morning, everyone. Let's just turn to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you as the author of the word that we are to consider together. And we ask you as its author by your spirit to guide and direct our thoughts so that, Lord, we may see the Lord Jesus and glorify him what you've done in him. Help us, we pray, because we ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Last time I was here, we looked at Hebrews, and I decided that we should continue in that and to look at such a marvellous book and what it teaches us about the Lord Jesus. And we have seen that the churches to whom the, our author is writing are churches that have endured severe persecution. But remember the former days, he says, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Now the persecutions had also attacked the ministry of our Lord Jesus. And you remember, they pictured him as a dismal failure. It is to rebut these accusations that our, order, our author is writing, demonstrating in chapter 1 that he spoke as the Son of God, and as the Son he was greater than angels. As the Son he suffered to pay the price of sin and turn back the anger of God. And in chapter 2, the writer demonstrates that the Lord Jesus' sufferings were not the sign of failure, but the necessary process of God's path to victory over the devil. Far from signifying failure, they were the seal of his high priestly office and of his success. And now in chapter 3, we are instructed as holy brethren to consider the Lord Jesus. He says, therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in his house. They are holy brethren, not because they are of a particularly righteous dis disposition or because they are better than anyone else, but they are called holy brethren because they are not, uh, because they are set apart as those who belong to the Lord Jesus. 
Brethren, not by a common earthly or ethnic connection. And that in today's age is something that we must always keep before us within God's church. It is not ethnicity that binds us together. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in that faith there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor free. But we are all one in the Lord Jesus. So let the world keep its expert opinions out there. They, they don't have a place here in his body. The earth calls us to take time now to focus our thoughts on him. The one who is God's last word to humanity. The revelation of God's character and the fulfillment of God's covenant promise to send a seed from a woman to bruise the head of the serpent. Our author encourages us to take time to soak up who he is and what he has done, the apostle and high priest of our profession. And to do this, the author compares the Lord Jesus with Moses. If Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, Moses was its founder and architect. The man who, under God's direction, laid the foundations that would ensure its independent existence and become the mediator of its charter, the law of God. A man of tremendous intellect, of moral virtue and courage. A life began uniquely as a baby, destined for death. But God's good providence, in God's good providence, he was miraculously saved. Nurtured in the house of the man who had condemned him to death. You know, I love that verse when it talks about why do the nations rage and imagine a vain thing. Here we have God's chosen leader of Israel living and being nurtured and fed and educated in the very house of the man who wanted to kill him. And God sits in the heavens and laughs. And we see this in the New Testament too, and I've got to be careful I don't go aside here. But how many Christians were there in Pharaoh's household? Even when he was persecuting the Christians, there were those within his own household who were Christians. And God sits in the heavens and laughs at men's attempts to put him down. As a young man, Moses committed himself to obedience to God, an obedience that continued throughout his life. And we read in Hebrews 11, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. This commitment was evidenced in his leadership of the nation. 
When others were failing and grumbling against God because of their plight, Moses was faithful in his obedience. All through the desert wanderings, when the people wanted to give up, it was Moses' faithfulness to God and to God's directions that pulled them through. And the only blot on his obedience was that of his occasional uh, waywardness with regard to uh, his inability to co always control his anger. Moses had a bad temper, and many of us uh, will sympathize with him in that score. But it was something that marred his life. A man of unshakable obedience and faith in God. A man whose writings forged the faith and character of a nation. And a nation that still exists today. Few men, if any, have ever reached the heights of achievement that Moses reached in his lifetime. A meek and humble man who, humanly speaking, deserves a far greater historical recognition than he has ever been given. A nation, he gave birth, if you like, in the human terms, to a nation that was called and set apart as those given the privilege of being God's witnesses to the world of his character and to be the means of bringing God's promised Redeemer the promised seed of the woman into this world. The nation had failed miserably in their national obligations to God's call, but now these Hebrews, to whom our author is writing, as those who are of the faith in the Lord of faith in the Lord Jesus, they are set aside as his possession, made holy as brethren because of their association with him and they are called to be witnesses to his son so here the Christians are spoken of as holy as those who are set apart chosen for a specific task and as this they are a model for us for we also are people who are set apart for the Lord Jesus to be witnesses of what God has done in his Son. To be conformed to the image of the Lord Jesus and reflect his character just as Israel was called to reflect the character of God by keeping the Ten Commandments. We are, as Peter says, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here is our heavenly calling, the purpose for which we have been set apart from the world that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you 
out of darkness into his marvellous light. Called to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Called to demonstrate to the world an obedience to God like that of his Son. Called to demonstrate his meekness, his humility, by having the same attitude within us as he had. And our author to achieve this calls us to consider him. He calls us to consider him to do, and to do this in a hostile situation, in a world that was directly opposed to them. Under the powers and principles that govern the world about us, and in this situation, he says, consider him. We know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And these powers are very real and formidable. And we see them in operation all around us. Powers that influence the laws that are made within the country. They are powers as the churches of Revelation demonstrate, still exert considerable influence even within the church. We are still subject to the temptations that appeal to the residue of our old sinful nature. The world, the flesh and the devil are still quick to try and take advantage of those weaknesses that we have as human beings. And they are operation within the church in order to spoil the church's witness. In order that we may be seen by the world to be tarnished and that God's work may be seen to be as a failure, irrelevant, and his people to be seen as foolish. What are the author's instructions to these people, to these persecuted people, to these persecuted Christians? Instructions that apply to us today as much as they, they did in those days of the Hebrews. What does he tell us to do? Does he suggest a counselling program for the church? Or to get away from it all for a while? Or take a break and have and move to another situation? Find another church, for instance, where you're happy. Nippers has been there where you're happy. Huh? No, he says to them, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of your confession. Now the therefore tells us the reason the author is telling them to consider the Lord Jesus. And it's to be found in the previous verses. Therefore he says, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Since he has been made like those he came to save, and has been tempted in the things that he suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. His work on behalf of his people was not just a mindless mechanical process of inevitability, but he subjected himself by choice to the suffering of the obedience of faith in a sinful, hostile world. He endured the temptations that are attached to that suffering. Did he not pray, not once, but three times in Gethsemane, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. The agony of that prayer is something that we can only imagine. The Lord Jesus was the one who said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. And in the accomplishing of that work, there was much suffering at the hands of sinful men. And it is recorded of him in prophecy, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And of course that's where his law should be, in our hearts. It was plain to see in his life, in the results of that, the results of that obedience in a hostile world, in the last hours, the consequences of that obedience became all-consuming. And he said to his disciples, I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me. There was agony beyond our comprehension in the prayer that would have the Lord Jesus say, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. As he faced all the powers of evil in the person of the devil. So then when we find ourselves tempted and suffering because of our faith, what are we to do? And the author says, consider him. Consider him. We have someone to turn to who understands our predicament. We have one who is sympathetic with our situation and knows what we are going through. And the reason he is able to be sympathetic and come to our aid is that he was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was in all his house. That Moses was faithful over God's house as a servant 
is pictured for us in Scripture. Of all the men in Israel's history, there was none greater than Moses, and in his faithfulness as a servant to God, he is even presented as a type of the Lord Jesus. But as great as Moses was, he was a servant amongst God's people. And our writer tries to give us a measure of that greatness as he depicts Moses as the author, if you like, of the, the, the founder of the nation. Well, once Joan and I were in visiting London, and one of the great attractions in London is St Paul's Cathedral. It's a magnificent building, both inside and out. And some, if you were to ask virtually anyone in the street, who was it who built St Paul's? They would say Sir Christopher Wren. And when he was asked before he died what he wanted on his tomb, it said that he said, just look around you. Because of the, all the buildings that he had designed uh, that were there in, in London. Now to the writer to the Hebrews takes a similar illustration to illustrate the Lord Jesus' greatness. They may look at Israel and see Moses as the founder of the nation. But Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses by just so much as the builder of the house has more honour than the house. For everyone, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Moses may, under God's guidance, have been the architect of Israel as a nation. But that is a small thing when we look at the future and see the nature of the kingdom being built around us by our Lord Jesus Christ's faith and obedience. I want to take you to read the book of Revelation to give you a picture of that kingdom that Christ is building. And after these things, John says, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And as he expands the picture, he says, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. What a kingdom. What a kingdom Christ is building. And how the kingdoms of this world pale in significance to that kingdom which our Saviour is building. Such is the difference between the honour due to Moses and the honour due to the Lord Jesus. 
There's no comparison. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his own house. And we might say, what a house. <laughs> but the marvellous thing that the writer wants us to grasp as we consider the Lord Jesus is this. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Whose house we are if we hold fast to our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. That as Christians, as those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are members of that household. We are members of that kingdom. And once we begin to understand the extent and the glory of that kingdom, our author encourages us in the midst of a world that is full of sin and opposition to our faith. Hope in him. There were those who were trying to get them, these, these Hebrew Christians, to go back to the old ways. To go back to Moses and the law. To go back to their Jewish religious heritage of regular sacrifice and feast days. A process that amounted to giving up their confidence that they had discovered in the Lord Jesus. Of the word confidence, John Brown makes this comment. The primary and ordinary meaning of the word rendered confidence is freedom and boldness of speech. As expressive of full conviction and the absence of fear as opposed to the silence and hesitation as an expression of that fear. Do you understand what he's saying? That when we're fearful, we are often quiet. We keep our heads down. But our author is suggesting that we have a freedom to boast in this world about the kingdom to which we belong. And we shouldn't be put down by the opposition. When we consider him, our great high priest, and the achievements of his suffering, we should not be like those who turn back. We should not be made anxious and fearful or doubt because of the apparent boldness and confidence of those who oppose us. Therefore, he says, do not throw away your confidence or your freedom in Christ, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And by my righteous one shall live, uh, by my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, 
My soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to preserve the soul. Consider him. Consider him who is the author and finisher of our faith. And then be like the psalmist who says, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread when evildoers come to me to devour my flesh? My adversaries and my enemies, they stumble and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. One thing I have asked from the Lord, that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. Oh, what an ambition to have as a believer. Consider him. Consider him who is the author and finisher of your faith. For in the day of trouble, the psalmist says, he will conceal me. And in his tabernacle, I will dwell. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. And now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. And we know this to be true because if things were to be different, he would have told us. Therefore, holy brethren, Partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. Let's pray. O oh God, our Heavenly Father, we just ask that in spite of who we are as sinners, that you would open our minds to see the greatness of our Saviour, to see the greatness of the Lord Jesus, to see the greatness of the kingdom that he is building, and to have a burning desire within our hearts for that kingdom, that it may encourage us in our faith and encourage us in our walk to follow the Lord Jesus because we ask it in his name and for his glory. Amen.